everyone. Welcome to another episode of On the Corner of Hollywood and History. I'm your co-host, Jay. I'm your co-host, Brian. And it's uh, very excited to be filming today. This is our third and final podcast on this mm-hmm. project. Right. So we are doing things a little different today. Um, previously, we've analyzed films and their historical context and relevance and accuracy. But today we're going to um, with everything that's going on in the world right now, it's difficult to not talk about it. So we are. Um, so we watched 13th documentary directed by Ava DuVernay. And they, the movie interviewed activists like uh, Angela Davis, uh, famous lawyers like Brian Stevenson, and authors like uh, Michelle Alexander. So we're going to discuss um, the film and the history of slavery, Jim Crow, and um, the new Jim Crow era today, um, mass incarceration. So uh, we'll get into it right after this break. All right, welcome back after that short little break. Um, Brian, tell me um, a little bit about, so the movie begins with slavery. Uh, tell me about that institution. All right, so slavery has been in America. It was in, ever since the country was founded and the first people came from Europe and the colonies were settled in the 1600s, slavery's been there. So like from 1619, whatever, to up until the Civil War, that's like 250 years of slaves. And it's a practice of dehumanizing the black person, man or woman, child, whatever. And because they're considered inferior in the eyes of whites, and they're considered property. So they use them, they beat them up, they do whatever, so like just do their bidding almost. And it was, it's just an awful practice, but it was used to emphasize the point that blacks are inferior to whites and should never have the same rights, same ability to do whatever they want as white people do. And this, that was, it was pretty accepted um, nationwide up until the mid 1800s where there was some pushback and then this leads us into the Civil War, where you got Lincoln and the radical Republicans are fighting for the end of slavery. The South still wants to keep it. So you have a whole war, basically. The bloodiest war in American history is fought over whether or not we should keep slavery, which is kind of silly, because it seems like a pretty obvious question. Obviously, no, we should not keep it. And then, Jay, what happens after slavery that really doesn't get much better for the Black person? Uh, yeah, so... You know, there's a famous 13th Amendment that, you know, emancipates the slaves. Um, And this destroys the Southern economy, right? Because it's all cotton and plantation, which runs on slaves. So um, that's going to present an issue and a problem for the plantation owners. But there's a loophole in the 13th Amendment that's, you know, it's unconstitutional to be a slave, except if you're a prisoner for forced labor. So now you have um, uh, African-Americans being charged with petty crimes or made up crimes to become a prisoner and work um, and do the same work. Um, But then as that fades away, a new system is birthed that is more legal and a lot of more uh, legal laws and a system of segregation. Brian, tell me 
a little bit about the Jim Crow era. Yep, so Jim Crow really takes off after Reconstruction, and then all the way up until, I would say, I don't know the exact date, but like the 20s maybe, or even after that maybe. Like, you know, it was like the 50s or something. 50s, 60s, whatever. All right, well, it's regardless of when it actually ends. Um, basically, it's a set of laws emphasized by Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, which said separate but equal. So black and whites are equal in everyone's eyes, but they do not have the same rights as everyone else. So you got like um, different water fountains, different restaurants, different bars, different bathrooms, etc. And this is again yeah. made to emphasize that blacks are inferior to whites without actually explicitly saying that because you can't have slavery anymore. But it's just another way to demean the black person. And what was the view of African Americans that was present in the media and in social life? Yeah, so it was that they're like animals, right? They're, these are like monsters that are going to come to your communities and destroy them and like pardon, but like rape your daughters, whatever. And this is really encapsulated in a movie called Birth of a Nation in 1915. And it was actually aired in the White House by Woodrow Wilson. And it's very racist film. And it's shown as this um, poor white girl is being chased and about to be raped by a black man who's portrayed as a monster. Right? And you have the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, that comes to her rescue. And they are portrayed in this like hero light, like they're the saviors. But this girl chooses to kill herself over being raped by a black man. And this fuels the um, nation's belief that blacks were these monsters that had to be dealt with. Um, do you have anything else to add on this topic, Jay? That was a lot. Um, yeah, so we see with the birth of a nation, the, the rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan. And, you know, before they didn't, they didn't burn the cross. But in the movie, they burn the cross for a cinematic effect. And now um, that starts to spread and the KKK starts growing in numbers. And this starts a wave of, of pretty much terrorism, right? It is terrorism with mass lynchings and everything. And um, a catalyst that they point to in the movie um, is the death of Emmett Till. Um, that it was publicized, the mere brutality and how the the white man, um, white men got away and the mother, you know, showed the pictures of Emmett Till after with the open casket funeral. And that kickstarts the civil rights movement. Um, and Brian, tell me about the leaders of the civil rights movement and what, and, uh, what happened to them. So you've got the leaders, are the, the two ones you probably heard of are Malcolm X and MLK. Right, but you also have some smaller ones, like um, a person we've mentioned earlier, um, or was mentioned in the film, Angela Davis. Um, yeah, just there's countless others, but the white, um, the government in particular, and the FBI saw these people as dangerous, as they were like spitting rhetoric that was harmful to the nation as a whole, and so they had to be dealt with. So while MLK and Malcolm X were assassinated, not by the government, certainly the government did not complain about their assassinations mm -hmm. as they represented those two men and every other leader represented like a harm like a change in the way that America is run right? and because they, they wanted to end all the segregation racism 
and the whites really did not mm. want this at all. So if mm. the leaders weren't killed, they were put in prison where the voices were silenced. And then you have a le- um, this leads into our next topic, which they will go on about mass incarceration, where you have this, um, new, this movement to end racism, segregation without new leaders. So it kind of spirals a little bit out of control. And Jay, do you want to uh, go on to this point about how without leaders, it, it became easier for them to arrest black citizens? Yeah. So um, we see, you know, the Civil Rights Act is passed. Um, and everyone thinks, that, you know, that's the end of um, Jim Crow, right? But unfortunately, you know, it is not. Uh, and there, there is a rise in crime, uh, but that's due to pure demographic and the baby boomers. Um, so the, um, it's spun as a result of civil rights. They use it as, oh, see you, now they're, you know, they're free and we're integrated. Look at the crime rates. They're, you know, they're increasing. So, so now you have Nixon claiming it's all about law and order. You know, we have to get law and order in this nation um, and such. And that was really a target to get the, um, to draw the Southern, uh, Southern whites um, to his political party, right? To join the Republican party. And as Brian mentioned, the leaders, the leaders were always um, imprisoned or assassinated by the police. Um, like uh, Fred Hampton was killed by the police leader of the Black Panthers. You know, the, you see that the police, they're really um, afraid um, of these leaders and they're afraid of an, of an uprising. So it makes the population very weak because all the strong leaders are all in prison or they're all assassinated. So that makes the population, you know, very weak and exposed to this new, uh, to the launch of the war on drugs and this law and order uh, rhetoric. So Brian, I'm gonna move to you. I wanna ask you about, um, talk about the war on drugs, how it started, um, what the public opinion was. So we've got, um, this is the end of segregation and the Civil Rights Act that Jay mentioned earlier. The country was like left with the blacks can't be segregated anymore, but you know, there's still tons of racism throughout the nation and even in the government. So they're dealt with like a, what do we do, right? So their solution is you emphasize drugs and criminalizing them, right? You have mandatory minimums, all this hard mm-hmm. sentencing to put these drug leaders away and really put a lot of black people in prison, right? So you got Nixon emphasizes this with uh, marijuana and other types of drugs. And you got Reagan comes in and emphasizes crack cocaine. As you have um, the prison system jumped from like 500,000 or something in 1970. And now it's, we're sitting at like two point something million. So they really um, emphasize prison. And that was their main, that was Reagan's main thing was war on crime, war on drugs, more yeah. than like foreign policy or whatever. And so you get yeah. nation of people that are now scared of drugs and blacks or criminals and all this. Mm-hmm. So we got more racism coming in. And by emphasis, like that's really how um, Bush in the 88, um, 88 won his campaign. 
by saying like, we have these criminals, they're gonna come to the community, they're gonna attack you and I will stop this. And Jay, do you wanna know, um, say how he does that with a particular man? Yeah, so Bush, you know, Bush is losing to the caucus and he uses uh, Willie Horton, who's a, a black man um, who, you know, uh, committed a crime off his, I think it was a uh, free weekend not sure what the exact term is, um, but you know, enforced by Dukakis. So Bush uses that to say, you know, this is what Dukakis wants to do. This, look at what this is going to do, and that then, you know, falls into, you know, what is the media's role, and the local news and everything. They're just constantly reporting, um, you know, these quote unquote super predators to make people afraid, and you know, constantly it's these black um, black men and um, young teens, you know, in handcuffs being put into the cop cars and such and behind bars to make, um, you know, people afraid. And then as a quick side note, Brian, you know, brought up crack cocaine. And crack cocaine um, now takes over the streets, especially in poor neighborhoods, because it's, um, because it's cheap. And, you know, the mandatory sentences on crack cocaine are, you know, way higher. Um, than normal cocaine, which is mostly found in white neighborhoods. So, um, so now we've touched on the war on drugs. So let's go to modern day, Brian. Tell me about modern day issues, or just at least you know introduce it a little bit of mass incarceration and so, police brutality. Yeah, so these modern issues really like the as we mentioned for the last few minutes, seventies and eighties really have gotten us to the point where we are right now as you have like the war on drugs led to tons of black fathers being put in prison so you've got a whole generation of black men and women but mainly men coming up with no fathers right so you, no father figure in the house it's easier to turn to crime right? so it's just like a endless cycle and right so where we are right now is you have blacks disproportionately commit most of the um like 50 percent of the crime in the country that's mainly due to economic issues and then a lack of father figures, which goes back to what we mentioned earlier in the war on drugs. And so you got the whole, so that's happening. And then you have police brutality where you have over-policing of black communities, right? And blacks, um, George Floyd recently, but Eric Gardner in 2014, um, like Laquan McDonald. Um, yeah, Tamir Rice, um, Trayvon Martin, not a cop, but like a community watchman but they're being killed for pretty much being black. I and mean, Timur Rice had, I think he had like a BB gun. Kevin Martin had scales. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, but. So police brutality, and right now in June 18th, whatever, we still have some protests. Uh, the, the nation is, most of the nation is on the side of Black Lives Matter, but it's just like, it's just a very weird point where we are right now. As it seems like things are getting better, as people are opening their eyes and wanting change, yeah. but how much change will actually happen is still up in the air. Before we get, I get too carried away. I could talk about this for a long time. Brian, talk about the private, uh, the private citation, did not say that right. Private um, jails so with Alec. System is, um, yeah. It's, well, you can see that in my reaction. It's not, it's not good, really. So you have Alec, 
ah, crap, I don't know. What, it's, it's like American Legislative something council. I don't really know. But yeah. basically, they wrote up mandatory minimums and all stuff like that, you know, harsh sentencing, because they are in league with, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name, but like a private prison corporation. Or like CTA. CTA. Um, I forget what it was called. But basically, those prisons make money by having people arrested. People don't get arrested, they lose money. So by working with Alec, it's like a um, good relationship for both. It's mutual, it's beneficial. As the harsher sentences, mandatory minimums, put more people in prison, helps private corporations, and Alec makes money because they have a partnership. So more prisoners means more money for both sides. Yeah, it's really a measure of wealth and not criminality, you know. Um, so can you get the right lawyer, right? These, you know, the, the public defenders are underfunded and they have a huge caseload. So it's hard for, to get their uh, undivided attention. And then, as you said, you either, you get it, um, you get a bargain and you plead guilty or you go to, you have to stay. If you can't post bail, you have to stay in prison and wait for your trial, which could take a very long time. And then you risk going to jail for um like upwards of 10 years 30 years you know life sentences things um like that so we also they interview um this republican senator from maryland and he's part of alec and he's defending it but he he's what we like to call listeners a shween right a little dweeb i guarantee he's five two he looks like a pumpkin right just gonna be completely honest apologies if he is listening um but he's trying to defend he's trying to defend alec he goes you know we're we're showing off fresh um now we're focusing on you know probation getting people you know out of those prisons and um it's like well you know you're doing that because you're working with the gps company that uses um they use the, the ankle bracelets, right? So you're still accumulating money and it's not in the name of justice, it's in the name of money, you know? And then the whole another thing is, it can all kind of, you know, you can look at capitalism too. You know, capitalism, racism, very intertwined. Can't talk about capitalism without racism. Can't talk about racism without capitalism. That's a whole other topic. We could talk about that for hours on end, but we are reaching our time limit. So, Brian, any uh, last words you'd like to say? Um, I, I think what we just mentioned though earlier about government, well, certainly things have changed. It seems like things have gotten a little bit better, but it's still a big issue. People who deny systemic racism should just listen to our podcast. As we pretty much said that it's there. And you have, it, this, the system is designed to harm the black man. Right, the whole yeah. plea bargains, uh, private corporations, everyone is working towards their demise. So I think this is just, it's a good, um, I, it's, it's a good film, I'll just say that. Because it's it really good. Where our country was and where it is now. And while things have changed, as I said earlier, it's really, we're still not in a great place as a country. Yeah, we're still very, you know, very far from justice. Um, what I will say 
is that you know don't do nothing if it you know if you're a white you're not affected by it you know don't sit there and do nothing get out there educate yourself make your voice heard um, be an ally um you know don't use the fact that you're not affected by it as an excuse um and be open to changing your mind look at the stats we have the stats i can talk about them for hours uh but they're there it's actually there so uh thank you listeners for another yeah, episode it's 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 heartbreaking that it ends here yeah you might have to continue it might have to renew our yeah, yeah. our contract what is i think you can make it mainstream i honestly think we could or we could do a tv show or something we could do a tv show i mean i would yeah. I, think, I think we'd get headlines we have bright futures we do in the radio business all right uh peace out peace out